A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 18. Jesus said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The word of the Lord. The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is one of the most well-known prayers ever prayed and written. If you, um, if you go back 2,000 years, it has been prayed all over the globe on Sundays. It, even today, is going to be prayed by millions upon millions of people. It, the Lord's Prayer is not magical. It's not a hocus-pocus that if you pray it or pray it a certain number of times, everything you want is going to happen. But the Lord's Prayer is insightful, and it's foundational to understanding who God is and what he calls us to in prayer. Jesus enters into his teaching on the Lord's Prayer as he's talking about what not to do. And what he starts off with is this. He says, when you pray, assuming you're going to pray, do not be like, and then he starts off talking about the hypocrites. Now, the hypocrites are the religious people in that day and age. And what he's talking about in that day and age is, don't be like the hypocrites who want to be praying in public so that people see them and praise them. And then he turns on the Gentiles, the non-religious people in the Jewish worldview. He says, and don't be like the Gentiles, those pagans, who babble on and on and think that with their endless words they're going to find God. They have no idea who God is. When I think about our own struggles with prayer... It's not that we're praying in public or using too many words. We, ha- we have many other struggles with prayer. We don't pray at all. We don't find the time to pray. We don't know how to. Some of us have never really been taught how to pray. And we don't know to whom we're supposed to pray. We have some notion of God, but is it really the God that Jesus is talking about? Jesus moves from that description of what not to do into what to do. 
right as he's entering into the Lord's Prayer, he says, so when you pray, do it like this. And then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Now, there's some things the Lord's Prayer doesn't do, and so we're not going to hit on those this morning. The Lord's Prayer doesn't really answer the why of prayer. That's the question that many of us often have, is why should we pray? What good does it do? If God is all sovereign and he knows everything, why do we pray at all? Or can we really even trust that he's hearing us? Is there any good in prayer? The Lord's Prayer doesn't say that. It it assumes it. The Lord's Prayer also doesn't give us a description of exactly how you should pray, meaning should you stand when you pray or should you kneel? Should your eyes be open or should your eyes be closed? Should you look up to heaven or look down to the earth? Should you pray in the morning? Should you pray all night long? Should you pray for 40 days while also fasting? Should you do it while you're walking in the car? Where do you like your green eggs and ham? The reality is you can pray anywhere. You can do any of these things. The answer is yes, pray. If you're looking for the why and the how, I'm going to point you just as a, as a further reading that we're not going to get into today. Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, is a really great um, newer intro into why we pray and how to pray. And the other thing I would say is find somebody. Find somebody that you respect their faith, a wise man or wise woman, and say, what do you do? Teach me to pray. That's essentially what the disciples did when Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer. In Luke, we read that Jesus is there praying, and the disciples catch up to him in Luke 11 and say, teach us to pray as you do. And he said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he went on. Basically, the Lord's Prayer teaches us the what of praying. Our attitude in prayer the content of our prayer, and to whom we are to pray. Or to put it in the framework that we're going to use this morning, the Lord's Prayer says that we need to know God that we're praying to. We need to turn to God with everything. And ultimately, we need to desire God more than anything. So the first thing that I see in the Lord's Prayer is that we are called to know the God to whom we are praying. Now, here's my take. My take is pretty much everyone prays. If I ask anyone, any conversation I've had with people, they say, oh yeah, I pray. Except for a few friends of mine who are admitted atheists, and they say, well, of course I wouldn't pray. But everyone else that I've ever run across says they pray. The question is, to whom are they actually praying? What version of God are they conceiving of? You see, everyone prays, even Homer Simpson prays. In fact, Homer is one of the most praying people on television. But, of course, there's something off in his prayers. In one episode, Homer is twisting around in a tornado, and he calls out in prayer, Help me, God! What is it I'm paying you for every Sunday? In another episode, he's standing in his living room looking up, and he calls out, God, if you really are God, you'll get me tickets to that game. Then the doorbell rings, and it's Ned Flanders, the Christian neighbor whom Homer hates. Ned says, hi dilly ho neighbor. Want to go to the game with me? I've got two tickets. Homer slams the door, looks back upward, and says, why do you mock me, O Lord? (laughs) At which point, Homer's wife Marge comes in and says, Homer, that's not God up there. That's a waffle. 
And we see as it pans out that Homer has been looking up at a waffle stuck to the ceiling, praying to that the whole time. In another episode, Homer is floating down a river clearly in danger. And he calls out in prayer. Lord, I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman. A waffle? Superman? The guy that you pay in order to get what you want. What version of God do we pray to? In reality, while Homer is a mockery of our human trouble, it's not very different from what many of us do when we pray without understanding who God is. We make up our own notions of how he's supposed to respond and what his character is like. And sometimes it's, it's the, the God that we put money into and he gives something back. And other times it's the Superman that's supposed to save us. And other times it's just a figment of our imagination. Jesus says, you need to know to whom you are praying when you pray. And so he begins saying, our Father in heaven. God is a Father who is in heaven. And think about that. It's very simple. On one hand, we have God who is in heaven. God who is vast and massive and beyond us. You know, all it takes is a little bit of reflection on the vastness of the earth and the smallness of man to recognize that we are nothing and we better have a God out there. Just a few weeks ago, they were saying that the Voyager spacecraft launched in 1977 made it to the edge of the solar system. The vastness of the universe is confounding. So the Voyager spacecraft was launched in 1977 and has been traveling at a speed of 40,000 miles per hour. And it took three decades just to get to the edge of our solar system. And at 40,000 miles per hour, they said it's going to take another 40,000 years before it reaches the next star. Here's our sun, and in 40,000 years, it'll get to the next sun. And that whole vast universe filled with stars that you see out there. It's why the psalmist in Psalm 8 says, when I consider the sun and the moon, the stars which you have created, what is man that you are mindful of him? Jesus is saying, when you pray, consider your creator. Consider the sovereign Lord of the universe. That nothing, nothing is too big or outside of the bounds of his power and his wisdom and his purpose. That's the God you're praying to. But the God you're praying to is also a loving father. Our father in heaven. The term there is Abba, which many of you have heard before. It's, it's not religious language, it's street language for my dad. The picture that we have that Jesus presents us in his life and in his parables is that of the loving father in the parable of the prodigal son. It's the father who's standing there looking, longing for his son to return. It's the father who leaves the banquet in order to go and plead with his older son to come in. That's the father that we have. It's a God who wants us to be with him. When we hear Abba or our father, Jesus wants us to understand that there's a relational aspect to God. And that relational aspect to God is enjoyed through prayer. 
You know, Jesus prayed a lot. And you might ask, why, why did Jesus need to pray? Christians believe that he is the Son of God, that he and the Father are one. Why did Jesus need to pray? One writer said Jesus did not view himself apart from the Father. So if you ask Jesus, how are you doing? His response would probably be, the Father and I are well. No, 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 Jesus, how are you doing? His self-understanding was tied to his Father. He sought continual relational connection with his Father. And so he regularly prayed. When Sarah and I were first dating, I wanted to spend as much time with her as I possibly could. I may have even skipped out on a few classes in college in order to hang out with her. And as a relationship continues from that early phase of infatuation into engagement and into marriage and into a life together, you find, actually, that if you enjoy somebody, you want to spend more and more time with them. And a part of that relationship is talking on the phone and eating meals together and sitting in the same room when one of us is watching TV and the other's on the computer and then going on dates together and even on a vacation together and sharing life, the struggles, the excitement, the joy. It's communicating and being with one another, sometimes in silence, sometimes in tears, sometimes in laughter. It's doing things together. It's being with one another as often as possible. That's what Jesus was doing when he prayed. He was with the one he loved as often as he possibly could. And so in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting, Jesus prayed. He prayed with his disciples, and he regularly got away from them to be alone to pray. We read in Mark that early in the morning, while it was still dark outside, Jesus went to a desolate place in order to pray. He would go up on the mountain to pray. He would pray in a garden. When he was exhausted, he would pray. When he was extremely successful, we find that he is praying. When he's facing decisions or challenges, he's praying. Before he began his ministry, he's praying. On the night before he died, he's praying. As he's hanging from the cross, he's praying. Our Father in heaven. You see, in the Lord's Prayer... Jesus says, you need to know the God to whom you pray. And you pray in order to know and experience and enjoy this God. The second thing we get to is not just knowing God, but it's that we need to turn to God with everything. Jesus talks about uh, three petitions, that we turn to God for our daily bread, for forgiveness and for deliverance. He says, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. And he goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. This is basic provision. It's our needs. And honestly, I find that this is the most common thing that we end up praying for. Or at least this is the most common thing I pray for. It's what I want and what I need. But I think that's also a part of what prayer is meant to be. Why do we go to God with our basic needs? Bread and water and clothing. I think it comes from a basic understanding that I'm not in control. And can you stop the rain if you want it to be sunny? If you eat perfectly well, can you avoid ever being sick? Can you guarantee me anything? None of us can. 
And so when we bring our basic needs before God for a job or for marriage or for health, it's appealing to God, but it's also acknowledging that all of life is a gift, that nothing is too small to bring, and in so doing to give thanks to the one who gives us all things. Give us this day our daily bread. Our Father wants us to bring all of our needs, all of our concerns, every fear before him, everything to him, to turn to him with everything. Our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sins and deliverance. The second petition is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debts or offenses are the things that that you owe or that are owed to you. So Jesus is saying, you know, if you want God to forgive you what you owe, forgive others. And it's not clear whether this is a quid pro quo. It's actually probably more along the lines of if you are not forgiving, then your heart is not one that really seeks forgiveness. And the allusion is to Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant when asked how many times should we forgive somebody. And Jesus tells this parable. He says, a certain master decided to settle all of his debts. And so he called everyone to give an account of what they owed him. And a certain servant of his owed him $10 billion. That's the equivalent today. A certain servant owed him $10 billion. And he begged and pleaded with the master, Master, I cannot pay this off right now. Give me time. And the master said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you this debt of $10 billion. You're free. And the servant went out and left the master's presence and found a fellow servant who owed him $20,000. And he beat him and choked him and threw him in prison, saying, you owe me $20,000. You're out of here. When the master found out about it, he was furious. He called that servant back and said, I forgave you. I forgave you billions of dollars in debt. And you are throttling somebody for 20000 Get to jail yourself. You see, what Jesus is talking about here, and as he comments on it later after the, the Lord's Prayer, is that a lack of forgiveness means a lack of real repentance. Think about it this way. If I'm holding on to unforgiveness, if I can't forgive somebody, it's because in some way I feel superior to them. I'm better than them. I would never do what they did to me. I would never be that kind of a person. Now, in reality, you might not do what they actually did to you. You would do something different. But to hold unforgiveness is to not acknowledge the depth of our own sin and brokenness. To go before God and say, forgive me, while holding unforgiveness, is to not fully acknowledge the depth of our need for forgiveness. It's not real repentance. One commentator said, there's something inevitably reciprocal about forgiveness. Somebody who forgives is somebody who seeks true repentance. And Jesus here talking about seeking forgiveness in our prayer is pointing at the greatest human need. The greatest human need is to be right with God our Father. We see this in Eden. Adam rejects God, and as a result, he turns against Eve and even loses his own identity. 
The sinning against God destroys everything else. Meaning, enjoying paradise begins with admitting our sinfulness, that we're all deeply broken and lost in need of God's forgiveness. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts. And then he goes on to the third petition lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Most everything that I've read on this and reflecting on it says the way to understand this is a prayer of God protect us from what we cannot handle and give us strength to endure trials and suffering. And the picture here is that faithfulness in difficulty, faithfulness does not depend on my strength, but it's found in relying on God's grace. And so we go to the Lord with all of our struggles and challenges and temptations and suffering. Jesus here in the Lord's Prayer is showing us that prayer involves turning to God with all of our lives all the time. I find that we tend to look to ourselves to take care of things rather than turning to God. And when we do pray, it's inconsistent and it's once-driven, which would not be a good way to develop a dating relationship. To get together inconsistently and every time you're together have a demand. But it's often what our prayer life looks like. It's inconsistent and it's filled with my needs and demands. And possibly it's no wonder that we don't experience more of God's presence or his assurance or his peace or his hope in our prayer. Rather, in prayer, Jesus, through this prayer, says we need to come to God to know him and experience him more and more. And we need to turn to him, admitting our dependence and need of him in everything. And the last thing, which is really the middle of the whole prayer, is to seek to conform our desires and our lives to his purposes. Know God, turn to God with everything, and desire God's desires. Towards the beginning, Jesus says the prayer should be something like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name is an acknowledgement of God's worth and honor, that he is sacred and set apart. Prayer, all prayer, Jesus is saying, should seek God's glory, should seek more people acknowledging and hallowing his name, more people to come to faith in him. For the name of God to be praised and honored, not my name. And then he goes on to say, not only hallowed be your name, but your kingdom come. In other words, that earth would look like it already does in heaven. The kingdom that Jesus talks about throughout the Sermon on the Mount involves the time when God would come to establish his reign. And if God were truly present, there would be justice and mercy and peace. Justice, the righting of wrongs. Mercy, for the poor and the weak and the lonely. And peace, meaning physical, mental, spiritual, relational wholeness for all people. So our prayers should be for that. God, may your kingdom come. May rights be wronged. May the broken be healed. May the lonely find home. May places of violence 
find mercy. We should be pleading for the broken world. And in that prayer, it's implying, and use me, God. Here I am, use me. The last part of his prayer that I want to look at is what I find to be the hardest part. It's when he says right there in verse 10, your will be done. Why wouldn't God want me to be married? To be healed? To find a job? Your will be done? You know, we were singing earlier, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. I'm going to have to admit there's certain parts of my life, there's certain people that I'm not really willing to pray that yet. You give and take away. Blessed be your name. Your will be done. Why wouldn't God want the very things we desire most? I heard one preacher say, if your five-year-old, if your five-year-old begged to drive the car, what would you do? What if he kicked and screamed and tried to run to the car with the keys and was calling out, Dad, you're ruining my life. I hate you. I just want to drive the car. Is it possible that not getting what we want is God's wisdom? Is it possible that God may intend a greater good through our lives than we can even imagine? In the garden, Jesus himself prayed, thy will be done. On the night before he was handed over to crucifixion, he prayed, thy will be done. Jesus was torn apart as he was looking to the next day at the cross. And the reason he was torn apart, the reason he was in so much anxiety, was not at the fear of death on a cross, the way that you and I might be deeply afraid of the pain. It's rather that Jesus as the Son of God, had never been separated from the Father. For all eternity, he had known complete and total oneness and communion, and he did not desire to be forsaken. And yet, he trusted the Father because he knew the Father. And so he prayed, sharing his own heart, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Let there be another way. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Thy will be done. London preacher John Stott said later in his life, the older I get, the more I realize I just need to pray, thy will be done. I suppose, though, there's a real danger in praying as Jesus suggests. When we pray this sort of prayer, we end up in some way surrendering our autonomy, our right to be in control of our lives, to determine the way it goes. And as we surrender our autonomy, we begin desiring his will instead.
but perhaps there is something better to be had than my will being done. Why do I pray? I pray because I like God. Much like being with a friend or my spouse or my kids, I want to be with them because I like them. I want to spend time with God. I I like him. And also because I trust him and I want more of him. I've already got way too much of me in my life. Why do I pray? Because with every year, I realize there is so little that I am in control of. And yet there's nothing outside of God's rule and reign. Why do I pray? Because I see my sin, my failure, my weaknesses. And I need his presence and his grace every day. Paul Miller in a praying life, says prayer mirrors the gospel. Prayer mirrors the gospel. In the gospel, the Father takes us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of salvation. Likewise, in prayer, the Father receives us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of help, his presence, his grace. Jesus obeyed the Father's will. He was driven from God so that you and I might be brought near. Give yourself to the Father in prayer and you'll come to know and experience and enjoy him as Jesus did. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Holy is your name, sacred and honorable and worthy. You are the great and mighty God. May your kingdom come on this broken world and in our broken lives. May your will be done at all times. Give us the bread we need for this day. Forgive us our sins. And give us strength to endure. And all for your name's sake.